out there in IoT land. My name is Ken Briota, and I am your host here on Real World IoT, powered by 151. We are going to be talking today about some really, uh, really exciting stuff in the IoT industry around partnerships. So, um, before we jump in there, my usual reminder that please click that subscribe button, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or any other place where fine podcasts like this are given away for free. We hope that uh, you'll subscribe and leave us a rating or review. It's really helpful in uh, raising our profile and getting more listeners out there and uh, helping us uh, spread the message of uh, Real IoT listenings. Here in Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors, we try to get into the meat of the topics at hand in the IoT, shuffle off all of the, uh, the marketing veneer, and uh, get our hands dirty. And we're going to do a little bit of that today while we talk about partnerships with my guest, Daniel Walpole of uh, Procon Analytics. Daniel, welcome so much to our show. Thank you for having me. It is entirely our pleasure. In case the folks aren't familiar with you, Daniel, or, or with your work day-to-day, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and what uh, gets you excited working on the IoT? Of course, be my pleasure. So my career in the United States until recently was exclusively with the wireless providers running business units and sales organizations for AT&T, Sprint, and Verizon. The last 15 years was spent with Verizon Wireless and from uh, 2011 until September of last year, I was responsible for developing the concept of building and then managing the uh, Verizon Partner Program, a wonderful program designed to really find the perfect way for IoT organizations to resale the cellular provider's network and to find mutual beneficial ways to market and to monetize, which is always, in my experience, one of the areas of uh, IoT development and partnership that sometimes gets left to last, but it's always the most important. So well, that's, uh, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a fairly salient point and an excellent segue into what we're going to be talking about today, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. So uh, I was fortunate enough in my time to really uh, serve a, an apprenticeship of sorts. I spent uh, literally hundreds of hours sitting in the room with some of the smartest people in the country. Um, every, everything from starving students with a brilliant idea to billionaires who just sold their last brilliant idea and everybody in between. Um, and it was almost a little bit of a uh, shark tank where I would sit with my team. We would listen to their, their ideas or their business and just through um, really actively and attentively listening uh, and always finding something of interest in every conversation, we would learn what did and didn't work um, through trial and error. Um, and through that process, uh, I was fortunate enough in uh, the end of 2011 to meet a gentleman called Brian Bowling. Uh, and at the time, Brian was the CEO uh, of a large IoT company called Spirion. He was also the, the original founder so he and I had uh, had some very interesting times together, um, good and bad, but through that we built a, a trusted relationship. Uh, he is a, a mentor of mine, and we uh, always, always in the back of our minds, if not spoken, 
because it wouldn't have been particularly appropriate at the time. Uh, I think both wanted to work with <laughs> one another. So um, last year, he uh, asked me to come across to his new venture, Procon Analytics, to be his chief data officer with a specific focus on building strategic relationships and partnerships. And at the time of leaving Verizon, that, that kernel of an idea that, that we had, the acorn that we planted, grew into a, an oak tree with um, over 20 million connected devices through every conceivable vertical, alarm panels, vehicles, dog collars, um, everything that you can imagine. So again, it was a wonderful apprenticeship, um, but really the success was predicated, I would say exclusively on partnering and being in a room with somebody and putting them first, and their needs first, and when their needs aligned with the, the desire, the business plan of Verizon, it was a perfect fit. And it's that uh, devotion to finding the fit and finding equal partnerships that um, I'm really excited about exploring even further with Procon Analytics. So let's, uh, let's jump in right there because I think that and I've said this over and over again on, on this podcast and in every venue that anybody will let me talk at the mat, um, that I think the, the secret to success for the IoT industry, as much as or more than almost any other technological industry, is in well-formulated partnerships. I think that there's there's a certain amount of uh, foolish hubris in any company that thinks they can actually be the be-all, end-all of IoT solutions and do them all well. But the, I think there's a challenge in companies by nature and uh, uh, by good practice are competitive with one another. So where is the balance in making good partnerships when you're dealing with a comp very competitive landscape, a lot of good ideas out there, a lot of good um, good practice happening, and uh, as always, some not great practice. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you forge these partnerships in a place where maybe uh, you'll need to work with competing companies for different solutions based on different expertises? That's a, that's a brilliant question. It's going to probably take a couple of moments to unpack, but <laughs> I, it really dives into the, into the heart of the matter. Look, in my experience, what tends to happen is the entity, whether that is an individual or a company, who feel they are in the ascendancy, whether they are a $140 billion company dealing with a startup um, or a small startup dealing with uh, an entrepreneur, tend to feel um, the authority, um, the superiority in, in the early relationship. And that always, always gets in the way. The key to me, the one word that resonates again and again is, is humility. Yeah. I'm a very, very direct person, very transparent, um, not particularly politically correct. Uh, and I think it is that um, candid nature, that willingness, willingness almost to offend somebody by telling them what I perceive to be the truth of a situation that invariably, in my experience, opens doors that, that are 
predicated on trust. Um, it's almost as if you're having a, a blue-collar conversation in, in a white-collar world. Uh, and the reason why that phrase really does resonate with me is most of the IoT solutions that have been so successful are those that present white-collar solutions to blue-collar problems. So when two or three companies are together, if you're able to start understanding that there could be potentially new lines of revenue, new ways to accrete revenue for the company, but only if everybody almost remains in their, in their swim lane, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And there is uh, an agreement, an acknowledgement that no one entity is um, particularly superior and no one entity can do this alone. Uh, I've had some wonderful conversations with some of the largest companies in the world, not just in North America, uh, very recently. And what I look for is the humility and the transparency that they show, um, which was what I hope that I showed when I represented the largest wireless provider. And so at, uh, at Procon Analytics, I, I do leverage my, my former portfolio of clients, which numbered just over 1,400. Um, and what's really edifying, and it's really, it's really beautiful, is when you, you pick up a, a, a phone and call somebody that perhaps you haven't spoken to for a number of months, and they take the call because they know that at least it's going to be an honest and it's going to be a humble conversation, and it's going to be focused exclusively on monetization. And as you know, one of the challenges in the IoT space when it comes to partnering is sometimes you're partnering with the person that developed the product, the service, or the solution. And they tend to be re really loving parents. <laughs> and uh, I've been in a, a number of situations where um, somebody, the parent has two children, right? The, 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 the person developed two products. One product is his or her utopian device. They're so proud of it, the design, the way that it works. Mm -hmm. And there's one product that they think is, uh, to coin a phrase, a pig. And <laughs> invariably, it's the pig that people want to purchase. So we've covered humility. The next important aspect is really being willing to follow the money, even if following the money means that that perfect thing you developed gathers dust on a shelf while the product you're not that particularly fond of is building your company's net worth. So hopefully that gives you an idea of where I come from when I look at these opportunities. <laughs> it does. Um, I uh, I love the idea of sort of having to think about your own business almost like a, a child in that, uh, I don't know if you're a parent, but I am, um, that you, you may have... Uh, brought it in and given it some initial guidance, but it's going to make all its own decisions, <laughs> no matter how young we're talking about here, and, uh, and move in unexpected ways. And trying to uh, force it on track is a really good way to have really big therapy bills later. <laughs> yeah, look, it, 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 it truly is about nurturing. I, I, do, I have three children. I've got a beautiful 18-year-old that just graduated high school, and I, I've got a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I also coach a 
probably coached 300 children through different soccer divisions. Um, and my, my current team is the reigning uh, state champions in, in California. Oh, congratulations. And thank you. Um, whether it's, it's with, with those amazing young men or whether it's the, the wonderful employees I've had the opportunity to work with over the years, or it's a, a router. If you nurture it and cherish it enough, um, you can uh, develop it into something special. Now, you have to be aware of its limitations, much like a, a soccer player, much like a, a, an athlete, an employee. There are some products that have a ceiling. The ceiling may be volume. The ceiling may be um, the margin. Um, but if you're aware of the ceiling, you can set the correct expectations. So I've always tried to be the best coach or teacher I, I could be uh, for my employees. Um, and that's how I look at the products, the services, and, and the solutions. Uh, they need to be coached. They need to be nurtured. They need to have expectations. And there has to be a massive amount of structure and discipline put in place um, so that you build this, this perfect conveyor belt. Uh, of opportunity that keeps running 24-7. It, it's developing business for you. It's qualifying business for you. It's selling while you're sleeping almost. Sure. Uh, I'd like to talk about this this idea of expectations a little bit because I think that uh, uh, bends our, our discussion here a little bit back toward the, the partnership piece of it because I think that that's got to be uh, a huge factor in, in forging uh, an IoT partnership, a stack of of individual products and solutions that lead to a solution suite for an enterprise user to actually leverage. You know, you've got to be able to, to say, this is what we're good at, this is what we can do, and what we can bring to this uh, this collaboration. And, you know, maybe this other company uh, does this other piece of it better than us or differently than us that will make it work here in this way. So, so you should work with both of us on this. Who sets those expectations? Because I don't know. Maybe I like to I like to be an optimist in all things. My my glaring exception is when I'm talking about uh, individuals who, uh, quite appropriately, are trying to advance their own businesses. Uh, I, I tend to think that that the instinct is to promise everything and then figure out how you're going to deliver it later. And this lends itself to our hubris discussion, but also the idea of setting expectations appropriately for yourselves as a business and also for your your eventual enterprise level client you know this is what you can expect from us is an important piece of the discussion and over promising i think is a really good way to end up in a lot of trouble in the IOC. yes it is and it's it's repeated again and again now again i'm fortunate i had a wonderful background in england i i was part of a, of a couple of startups um, my, and I grew up in the uh, cold calling, commission-only advertising sales space. It doesn't get too much harder than that. If you've ever seen, or if your listeners have seen the movie Boiler Room, mm. that was me as a that was me as a 19-year-old. I did some time um, there call, myself. <laughs> yep, call, calling calling to to Europe to sell advertising, cold on the phone. So at that point, you you can't overpromise. Um, and it's the biggest mistake that most salespeople make, and that's really formed how I approach partnerships. So there's, a, there's an idiom in, in the sales that everybody's heard of. Lots of little yeses make a big yes. I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm -hmm. It's utter garbage. <laughs> the, best thing you, 
it is that I can make somebody say yes all day doesn't mean that they're going to pay me a red cent. Right. Um, so I have always focused on um, because I, I grew up in such a hard industry in a different country, different continent. Um, it taught me uh, to really focus on giving the person the opportunity to say no, because I would much rather give somebody the chance to say no. And if they freely say yes, or maybe that's far more important to me than using techniques or tricks to get them to say yes. And that's where the partnership really begins. Um, there has to be an open discussion. And the question was, who is the person that, that, that brokers that? It's the facilitator. It's, it's the, you know, five different names for them, the, the matchmaker, the deal maker. Mm-hmm. Usually in my experience, that, that's been me. Um, because I, I see the vision and I see how the disparate parts can come together to come to build a, a much stronger whole. But it's always, again, that humility, um, focusing on the monetization, and then making sure you give everybody the chance to opt out. You give, you're very direct with and transparent. And if it's something you cannot do, make sure that that is disclosed early and often. Sure. The right and, and, and that's critically important and that really comes to the, the qualification of the opportunity. It's funny. Um, it's, if it's you can, of, go ahead. It sort of sounds a little bit like the uh, concept of enthusiastic consent, you know, uh, offer, offer everybody, it, the partnership works best if everyone is giving enthusiastic yeses rather than uh, uh, not no's. You know, yes. <laughs> you know, if 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 you it, just because somebody ends up in a a position where they may where they seem like a partner doesn't mean they're enthusiastically throwing their whole set of resources at the solution. They might be holding something back, and that partner is almost worse than no partner at all. Because when that it comes partner down is absolutely time, worse. Yes, <laughs> you, you, that, they that might partner, just say, "Forget we, it. This is too much," and bail. And now you're in a real problem. Yeah. That, that partner falls under the heading of um, a uh, science project. Uh, and I've built the exploding volcanoes, which every high school in America seems to do for some reason. <laughs> but it, 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 didn't, it didn't pay any of the bills. Um, and that's where, you know, working with um, such an industry leader as Brian Bowling really um, helps. And it was the, the main reason that I, that I made the move because Brian sees things exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. He was the first person to put a million connected vehicles on the roads in the United States for, from a, a non-automotive OEM standpoint. Mm-hmm. And we're just about to do it again in, in less than uh, two years with, with our current company because he only focuses on, on what we do. But maybe the best way to explain it, Ken, is the further one gets away from one's core competence, the less competent one becomes. And that's really, that, yeah. that's the art of the deal, right? Oh, oh um, careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, I just had too much material come at me all at once. I've got to be careful. <laughs> so my, like, I, I'm not the most intelligent person on the planet, and I'm certainly not um, a vertical specialist. My skill is seeing the vision and making leaps of intuition horizontally. Mm-hmm. And because of that, 
I have to facilitate the meetings in a way that uh, everybody can understand. It has to be in plain English. Um, we have to get rid of the cycle babble and the engineering talk and sit around the table and clearly define what the outcome is. And, and again, if I'm sitting with a two-person organization or uh, a $2 billion organization, when I'm in front of them, I pretend I'm a consultant for them or an employee of theirs and genuinely give them my honest appraisal of the situation, the opportunity. Sometimes that qualifies me out of the deal, right. but that's the best thing I can do. Yeah. And the reason, the, right, the reason it's the best thing is because I've proven my honesty, but also I've saved myself a, a lot of time. Right. Uh, the the, the qual Qualifying the opportunity is always the most important thing. There's, there's no such thing as closing in sales. It doesn't exist. If you qualify and qualify, then the deal happens. And it's the same in, in the partnerships. That same... Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, if you, if you talk your way into a situation, you shouldn't be in that situation, I feel like, in a, in a partnership yes. world. If you've... If you've I, I hesitate to use the word... Uh, uh, swindle or, or convince your way into a situation, maybe you shouldn't have been there in the first place because you're, you've done some tap dancing, you've done some uh, fast talking to get there. And as somebody who, who is at heart really just a, a show kearney, uh, I, I love a good uh, street talker, outside talker, but that's not a good way to... to make partners that's a good way to to keep rubes on the hook for five minutes then you're never exactly gonna, you're never gonna you're never gonna be uh be a long-term partner that way yeah it's not it's not about being an extra boardwalk empire so you're, you're, you're absolutely right so the, the, the one of the one of the ways to um to really think about it is um your job is to exclude people or, or disqualify people from the opportunity from from the partnership, mm -hmm. um, and that's always the the way that I look at it. Um, and if you truly, as I said at the beginning of the call, if you truly focus on trying to find something interesting in every conversation, it becomes really easy to sit down and just actively listen and learn about somebody's business. Mm -hmm. And when I'm building a partnership, I, I have a vision. Um, it may change, it may be somewhat fluid, but the more I learn about the people that I, I surround myself with, I feel the stronger that, that, that I become and the, the, more, uh, the more ability I have to help them. Uh, and I truly try to approach, it sounds very self-grandizing and I don't mean it that way, mm. but I try and approach every opportunity with a, with a servant's heart. Right. Even if I'm the one that's breaking down the door and, and being very direct in the room, if I, if I try and approach it with a servant's heart, it means that genuinely, if I can get them to see my vision, it's because it helps them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that moves the ball forward. And what's so exciting about the IoT industry is there are so many partnerships that can happen that haven't happened yet. It's, uh, sure. It really is. We're, we're, at a, we're at a tipping point in the industry where... Companies who once thought themselves to be um, disparate from one another are realizing that they have far more in common. Um, even competitors are now becoming fremenies. Uh, and I love that. That's yeah. such a thrilling, 
such a thrilling environment to be in. Um, and because of my horizontal experience, um, I may sit with somebody, actually I won't use the names, but that happened on Monday. Mm -hmm. I had a wonderful meeting with a, with a, a, a company, no matter how successful Procon Analytics is right now, this company could bias with a rounding error from their taxes. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe one day they will, hopefully. They were struggling with a very specific problem, um, but it was a problem, and I, I can't give the details, but it was right. a problem that had been fixed by another industry about three years ago. It's just that... To, to breed success historically in IoT, one has had to have been incredibly myopic, mm. almost like a horse with the blinkers on, just running to the finishing tape, right? Right. Um, the blinkers have to come off, and with all due respect to, to my engineering friends, business-minded people have to lead the negotiations and they have to develop the partnerships. Yeah. Um, to support the engineers, and most of these IoT companies were built on engineers on the backs of engineers and are run by engineers. And sometimes what makes engineers so brilliant, so single-minded, means that they're the worst people to have in a room when you're qualifying an opportunity because they won't budge at right. times. I know that's a generalization. Sure, but, but it's, it, it, you know, it itself, is true. Yeah, it lends itself to the same thing we've been talking about at a higher level with the whole company. Know what you're good at. You know, the, the engineer is really good at making the solution and making it work and doing what their goal is. That doesn't necessarily mean they're the best person for selling that solution or getting that solution into uh, 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 a sales situation or a partnership situation. You know, that, that yeah. sort of just go, should go without saying, but in an industry that's been in the, the development growth phase as long as IoT has, and I'd say still is, uh, you know, we're we're far from a mature industry. Uh, we're a, a very experienced early stages industry. It feels like um, still the the a lot of those companies are still at the we're all engineers phase, and and so some of them are starting to have to learn. Well, maybe there's another set of expertise uh, in in people that we need to look at. Um, yes, and I I wanna I wanna. Uh, challenge you a little bit on this one, be uh, on this next area. Please here, do. Because this is all great, and I love the idea of of getting uh, these conversations to happen and talking about real expectations and everything, but we don't always have you. And and a lot of places don't have you or someone like you. Well, Ken, maybe, maybe you should. Maybe <laughs> that's the problem. Well, Go ahead. Well, yeah, that's my, my point is that how do we get how do we get to the point where these these partnerships and and conversations are happening without relying upon the one charismatic person who's good at this a, a daniel walpole because right now we need you and we need folks like you who are good at this but as the industry starts to grow and scale and become about systems of systems and and ubiquity in in the industrial and consumer sectors these partnerships are going to have to become matter of course and not how do we do this questions at that point we're going to have to be in a position where every company has a daniel walpole um we're Goodness, what a horrible world that would be. <laughs> um, 
or you know and and so my my question is how do we put you specifically out of business and teach a lot of people how to <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all for now folks thanks um, look it, 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 it's a very important question um, I'll use my personal experience from that because I, I think what I try to replicate when I advise businesses is what I've done personally and it starts with knowing what your weaknesses are. Uh, again, I, I'm a generalist and I can get people infused and I can get them to see a vision. Um, if you put me in a room, I usually can get most people agreeing in a common direction and make them feel great about it. I believe because it's what they need. It's for, it's for their benefit. Mm -hmm. But uh, And I can at times have a, a, a great attention to detail, but I don't always enjoy that. Right. Uh, I would prefer to be the person that um, is facilitating the conversation and, it, and is um, putting the deal together. Um, and I know personally what I need is somebody to support me in that um, from a, a structure and a discipline and attention to detail to almost save me from myself sometimes. And so that's what all these companies have to look at. When I was at Verizon, I worked with two of the most talented people um, I, I, I've ever met. Uh, I've hired them a, a few times, actually. Uh, I won't use their last names, um, but uh, Michael was uh, a gentleman that I hired to replace myself mm -hmm. in my early career at Verizon and then brought him into the IoT resale organization. I believe he's one of the strongest sales leaders in, in the country. Mm -hmm. And he, he showed enough humility to when we would go on appointments, allow me to lead them because he saw that as my strength and then he would take charge of the follow-up, not, not in a negative or, or a dismissive fashion, but he was brilliant at it. Right. And then uh, there was a wonderful woman called Sophia who um, built um, an amazing support mechanism of after-sales support, um, of accountability, uh, of um, um, administrative support for, for all aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. So that so if you then blow that up from being a person with his weaknesses and trying to get those gaps filled to a company, if you are an engineer-led organization, potentially that means that you could be first to market, you could be ahead of the game on a regular basis. However, if you can't sell your product, it's worthless. Yeah. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times, back to the, the kind of Seda, uh, pseudo Shark Tank role, where I would see a product that was awesome, then I would say, well, who are you looking to sell it to? Um, what are you going to sell it for? Um, and it's a non-starter. Right. So fill your gaps. Um, more and more, uh, I think we are seeing an end to the, to the overzealous, only trying to be charismatic salespeople. I think they've really hurt the industry yeah, because they've oversold, they've overpromised, And we're seeing an end to companies that are only engineering led and only, you know, in love with the engineering side. And I think in general, we're seeing far more balance. There are some amazing leaders that I've learned from who find that balance because they know their weaknesses and their, and their company's weakness. So if, if it takes three or four of you to attend a meeting because you all have such uh, diverse strengths and weaknesses, as long as they dovetail to one another, that's probably the best way to facilitate those relationships. You do need a visionary, 
But you do need somebody that also sees the risk, is aware of the risk, and navigates it around it. I, I, I teach my, my teens to think about trapdoors in the old uh, cartoons. Somebody would, would be running through, the, through a, a room or a house, and they'd fall through a trapdoor. The entire conversation about partnerships is identifying trapdoors, getting out a fistful of nails and a hammer and hammering them down so that you don't fall through them. Right. Uh, but you can't always do that alone. So if you are an engineering-led company, try to find somebody that can be more, more um, visionary uh, and more customer-facing and perhaps makes you feel a little uncomfortable if you've been relying on charismatic salespeople, find somebody that can maybe put more structural discipline around that. You, you'll probably find better margins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just finding that balance. So hopefully, I know that's a long answer, but hopefully that makes sense. Um, and that's from my experience, the most successful negotiations, the best partnerships uh, I've worked on, they've brought either one person that can do most of it or a group of people that can accomplish it as, uh, as a team to the table with everybody checking their egos, showing the humility to know that what is and what isn't their expertise, and with a an, an transparent, open willingness to try something new uh, and to realize that business as usual is probably the most disgusting term ever invented by man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we're getting near the, the end here, and, and I want to leave folks with sort of something practical to take take out. Not that we haven't been talking about a lot of practical knowledge here, but can you give some specific sort of resources for a company that, you know, maybe they've been working in their their own sandbox this whole time and they feel like they're ready to be integrated into some of these partnerships and to work at the higher level and start talking about scale? Who, Where do they find those things? Is it going to events and meeting with people? Is it you know, finding a, a consultancy that can introduce themselves, introduce them around. How do you become part of those partnerships? Do you work through your existing customers and say, hey, who do you, what else are you trying to do? And how can we work with your other vendors? You know, how do you see those partnerships growing? That's a great question again, Ken. It's, a lot of it is being willing to spend as much, uh, when the sun's up, you should be you should be hunting for business, or you should be dealing with with people with human beings. Leave the emails, leave everything, the busy work to the weekends or the evenings. And if you talk to enough people, you will see the the natural links to be able to join the dots. The one thing, or I should say perhaps one thing, that every IoT company relies upon is connectivity. That may be Wi-Fi. Uh, but usually, uh, to proliferate in the marketplace, it has to be cellular. So I would absolutely build relationships with the, the major wireless providers in the United States. Fortunately, I, I have sea level relationships or just below the sea level at most of the, the carriers now. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's easy for me or easier for me. But if you have a good product, um, if you rely upon some form of cellular connectivity, one of the first entities you should reach out to um, would be your local um, business rep or IoT rep to find out what resources 
you can get from that carrier. Yeah. And again, if you don't, don't overpromise, um, don't try and get lead share um, because that, that very, very rarely works. Right. Um, and the carriers get hammered every day with people trying to give them products that their reps can sell. If you've got a good product that you want to sell yourself, whether you're bringing 500 things or 50,000 things a month, it, it contributes. It, it hits their bottom line from a volume standpoint and hopefully from an ARPU standpoint. Yep. So if you reach out to them uh, and you find a, a good rep or a good director, I think in general, uh, they do a really good job of advising. It seems they, like, go ahead. It seems like most of the, the large carriers are really on board with the, the idea of partnership economy. And they, I, I know Verizon has a really robust sort of developer space uh, in, with their things-based uh, programs, and, and uh, AT&T has a similar one. And they're, they're looking to foster some of these relationships already. So getting involved in, in those programs is probably a wise uh, initial step anyway. No, absolutely. And then, look, there are good consultants across the country, mm -hmm. um, but also there are consultants that made millions predicting Y2K, and that didn't happen either. Right. So you, you, have, to, you have to have a bit of a jaundiced eye. Um, but if you know your business well, uh, and you've got a clear idea of where you want to take it, um, having, if you meet with, let's say, the four major wireless providers, and you meet with them back to back to back over a week, if you lay out what you would like to do, um, ideally under NDA, you probably will receive enough feedback just from those initial meetings to either validate or give you concerns about the vision that you had in place. Uh, you have to be aware of, of what they're looking for. Right. Uh, the frontline sales reps want to retire their IoT quota. Very few wireless sales reps really care about IoT. It's just a thing they have to do to hit an accelerator or to not get fired or to be able to go do what they prefer, which is traditional voice and data. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. They're, they're coin operated. And the higher you go up the hierarchy, the more they're focused on the revenue and the ARPU rather than the volume of, of the widgets. Right. So as long as you know what, what uh, is you know, important to them, it will allow you to have an honest discussion. So I, I think that's a, a great way to start. Because again, it's, it's one of the things that every IoT solution needs. Without connectivity, uh, nothing can happen. You're not really IoT, are you? <laughs> not really. <laughs> You're sort of just OT, I guess. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. Um, Daniel, this has been a really great discussion. Where can folks find out more about you and about Procon Analytics? Well, obviously, we have the Ubiquitous website. So. Um, ProcomAnalytics.com. Um, I'm uh, on LinkedIn a lot, so Daniel Walpole. Uh, you should be able to find me pretty easily, and uh, I'm more than happy to field in any questions uh, and uh, come back on maybe attack a, a vertical at a time, or um, even do a live answer and question sessions if that's something that your listeners would feel would be beneficial. Um, but there are, there are a lot of really honest, hardworking people in this industry. Just take the time to listen to them and to really qualify without any forethought or prejudice, without putting your desires ahead of theirs. And if during that open dialogue, 
and it's a dialogue, not a monologue, if during that open dialogue, what they tell you fits and is aligned with what you need, then you're probably 80% of the way to forming a long-term business relationship that generates volume, accretes revenue, and potentially future-proofs your business. And uh, that that is a wonderful place to wrap up. Uh, Daniel, thanks again for being my guest today. This has been uh, really exciting, and I know we could have talked to you for another hour, but uh, I think almost everyone has finished their commute, which is when I assume these get listened to. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not in Southern California then. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do an extra time for them next time. It's been a pleasure, Ken. Thank you so much. It's, uh, uh, I, I love the show, and, and I listen uh, uh, as frequently as I can. Well, glad to hear it. Thank you, Daniel. Um, folks, uh, I've been Ken Briota, your host here on uh, Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Make sure you go online to check out more content on how you can monetize the connected world at 151advisors.com. That's 151advisors.com for all the information and content like this podcast that will help you power your business and monetize your business into the next phase of the IoT. Thank you again for listening to Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. I am your host, Ken Briota, signing off. See you next time. 